Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Stephanie J. She is a motivational speaker, an international best-selling author, a certified somatic sexologist, a sexual enlightenment guide, and erotic alchemist. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Saying hello to everyone from Bangkok, Thailand. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I appreciate you, and I'm really looking forward to and excited to jump in and share all about your journey, your story, and the beautiful light you put out into the world through the work you're doing. So with that being said, let's get started. Stephanie, that is a hell of a lot of hats you wear and one hell of an extensive resume. And of course, it would seem that most of these hats you wear are very closely tied in together with one another. How do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? Honestly, I have a very funny answer to this. So I'm hopefully your audience will like it. And I do want to point out that two things that are actually missing on that bio that I forgot to send to you is I'm yeah. also an elite matchmaker and currently completing a PhD. So there's even more on that list. <laughs> and really, you do see there's a thread there, right? There's a common yeah. thread of really helping people reconnect to pleasure and desire yeah. and healing our relationship with our sexual energy, which has just been traumatized for years and years. And I'm sure we'll dive into that a little yeah. bit more. But how I prioritize is very intuitively. I grew up in a very masculine environment. I grew up in corporate. I was always very busy. And when I made the switch from corporate into running my own business, especially a pleasure embodiment business, I had to really decondition everything about the way that I thought a business should run, the way that I thought a work day would look, the way that I wanted to do things was completely different. And now three years, four years in, um, I'm in this beautiful place where I can wear all these different hats and be in all these different spaces while still intuitively allowing my, really my intuition to say, this is the thing you need to work on right now. And it becomes uncomfortable for me. And that's my sign of, okay, this thing is done. Now it's time to go to the next thing. And I do want to be careful there because sometimes, especially early in our evolution journey, we have this weird relationship with discomfort. And people think because I'm in the pleasure space, that means I don't ever do anything that's hard. That is a lie. (laughs) If we're growing, you're doing hard things. I'm constantly evolving, leaning into my edges, stretching myself into things that are uncomfortable, just like going to the gym is uncomfortable, but we do it because we know the benefit. But the discomfort that I feel in my body is more of an internal, this just doesn't feel like it's the time to do this anymore. And I have learned and built trust with myself to just trust that means I get to go to the next thing. And so my life is really very 
very flowy. Every time I work with a business coach, they're like, what, where's your calendar? What are you doing? <laughs> but everything gets done and everything's always amazing. And I get to do it in a way that feels good to me. And that's the most important thing. I love it. Now with you wearing multiple hats, Stephanie, I'd love to know what your morning routine looks like. Yeah, I have a very beautiful morning routine that is super sacred to me. The second I wake up, it is very important to me, or the second I realize that I'm awake, I generally speaking do not use an alarm. And when I do wake up, the first thing out of my head is thank you universe for all of the abundance in my life. That's the very first thing I conditioned that into my life when I started my professional development journey back when I was 19. The importance of the first five minutes when you wake up is when you're really in the subconscious mind. And so as I'm waking up and also as I'm following asleep, it's thank you universe. I work with some specific guides and deities. So I thank my guides and deities, thank them for the place that I live and the life that I have. So that's the non-negotiable every single morning. The next thing I do, of course, is drop into a self-pleasure practice. So that is a big part of my morning routine. And then always a workout. My body is the type of body that it, I need to physically, especially after a self-pleasure practice, I need to lift some weights or do something that really <laughs> moves the energy. For Those sure. three things in order all the time. You mentioned corporate. So what were you doing for a living before you made the jump into entrepreneurship? And what inspired the leap into becoming an entrepreneur? It's so funny because I never really considered myself an entrepreneur, but I guess I obviously am. <laughs> but the word is funny to me. But I spent my life in corporate. I got my first job when I was eight for contacts. I came oh, from very shit. humble beginnings. <laughs> I had two jobs by the time I was 13. And it was basically, I wanted things from my life that my parents were not capable of providing to me. So they got me a job. So I have been working from a very young age. As a result, I was able to get into corporate at a very young age as well. So I started a pretty good, solid corporate job at age 19. And I bounced around a little bit, but at the height of my career, when I was 29, I was running the growth department of a technology company that was dealing with artificial intelligence-based chatbots. So wow. total change, total shift. Yeah, uh, <laughs> one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. And so what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? Honestly, it's the transformation I see in other people. It's so beautiful. And the reason I stepped into this work, which I guess I didn't answer from your earlier question, is because I felt this inner pulling within me to explore my sexual energy, explore my sexuality, and just this inner feeling there has to be something more. I'm yeah. living this dream life, according to everybody else. I, I've literally capped out my ability to succeed in corporate at 29, which is an annoying thing to experience, by the yeah, way. <laughs> I'm sure. And it didn't turn out to be all it was cracked up to be. I thought I would have luxurious vacations and all this freedom and this beautiful life when I hit this amazing milestone in my career. And all I had was less time freedom, less personal freedom. I was more restricted than ever. So I got pulled into, okay, well, if it's not this, then there must be something else out there. And there's I started something diving. more. Yeah. And I think there's like that, I think anyone that's listening to this, they'll, they'll resonate with that inner calling, like that inner feeling of, I don't, I didn't know what it was at the time, but there was just, there was like an emptiness inside of me. And I honestly felt really guilty for it because I was living on the outside, this amazing life, but inside I was dying inside. Empty. So, yeah, totally. Just completely empty, completely void. 
And that really got me into, okay, what is it then? I went through this massive personal transformation on my own. And I was like, oh my God, the whole world needs to know this. And it doesn't mean that everybody needs to leave corporate, but the whole world needs to know what's accessible to them. Because if we were to live in a world where everyone was tapped into their pleasure, everyone was tapped into their desires, the world would be such a better place. And seeing that transformation, that evolution in the people that I work with is the most fulfilling thing on the planet. I love it. And that's it, right? That's what it's all about is finding that thing that fills your soul, that makes your soul sing and smile in your heart. And as opposed to staying stuck in something that you're miserable in, and like you said, you feel empty. And what's the use of that? We're here on this planet for a very short time. So you might as well find something that sets your soul on fire. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) So there's a lot to unpack here, Stephanie. I would like to talk a little bit about each of the areas of your business and have you explain what each area of focus is and the work you do under each title to start. So let's start with what is a certified somatic sexologist? Can you share with us what that is and the work you do? Yeah. And I think you'll find that really is the underpinning of everything else that I do. So everything else is, is branches really of that one core piece. A somatic sexologist is somebody that's working with sexual energy in the body. So not talk therapy, right? The word soma literally meaning body. So in the body, embodied energy. We're not dealing with past traumas and things like that or beliefs or shame or guilt or taboos in the head. We do a little bit of talk, but mostly we're bringing it into the body and we're allowing the body and the energy moving through the body to really do the healing for you. And I will say that as far as certified somatic sexologists go, there's several certifications of which I have one of them, which is out of Australia. It's an amazing program called the Institute of New Paradigm Intimacy for anyone that's curious. And the work can be very different depending on the person that you're working with. So I have an interest in metaphysical science, the quantum field. I love studying energetics. My master's is in metaphysical sciences. So for me, I really bring a really powerful energetic presence to it. And it's a very energetic experience. So it's very out of the head and very embodied and noticing and tapping into the different energies that exist in our body and healing from that space. Because the truth is, you can heal the body just by feeling that energy. I've seen insane transformations in the energetic space, like healing of cancer, eyesight regained, broken bones healing. It's pretty wild when you get into it. Yeah, I've heard some pretty incredible stories as well of people using everything within themselves to heal. And that's the thing, right? We don't talk about it enough and not not enough people know about the power that we have, that we all have within us to heal Mm -hmm. ourselves as opposed to relying on Western medicine. And that's not to say that we don't need it. I think we need it to a certain degree, but I think we need to lean more into ourselves and using the tools that we have within us. Absolutely. If you're even looking at medicine, so I work a lot in the Tantra space and a lot of my life's work is around balancing of masculine and feminine energies. So the masculine hustle and then the feminine receiving. And I really see Eastern and Western medicine as the same polarity, masculine and feminine energy. You really need both in order to be in a healthy society. Like Western medicine is very masculine and it has its place. If you're dying from a stab wound, please go to the emergency (laughs) room. Like these things are important. We have these antibiotics, things like that exist for a reason. And on the Eastern side, if we're dealing with chronic things, inflammation, fertility issues is something that people come to me a lot for. These types of things or like pain during sex, people come to me a lot for that as well. 
these are all things that can be healed energetically through the body. So anything that is more chronic as opposed to acute is something that I feel Eastern medicine suits very well. And it's important for us to just know when is the right tool for me and to be empowered to make those decisions for ourselves. For sure. And I think we're moving towards a space and a place where in some places, Western and Eastern are working together, which is beautiful. Yeah. But there's still that old paradigm where a lot of the Western medicine doctors just, no, I'm not buying it. I don't believe in that shit. And that's it. Yeah. And it's because it is a belief thing, right? And we're getting there. We're starting to see science coming out, but we're in this space where science is king, right? Science has almost become God in a lot of cases. And it's, if you don't have scientific evidence, then it's not real. Yeah. Who's paying for that scientific evidence if we want to get a little deep on the conversation, right? <laughs> so I don't blame doctors for not believing it. It's just outside of their operating framework. And that's okay. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Can you enlighten us as to what a sexual enlightenment guide is and the work you do as a sexual enlightenment guide? See what I did there? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. When I look at the facet of sexual enlightenment, really that's the experience that I've gone on. And it's when you think of the word enlightenment, right? It's to bring light to the shadows, which is I think just the most beautiful word and also really the most accurate representation of what it is that we're doing is we're bringing light to the shadows around your sexual energy, whether that is, and we can go into all of the different shadows that exist in the sexual energy field, but things, for example, as 3D realm as pain, inability to orgasm, premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, lack of libido and desire in general, very physical, tangible things to the beliefs, the mindsets, uh, I just don't find my partner attractive anymore, or I'm coming out of religious upbringing and I don't have a good relationship with my body or with my sexuality, all the way up to, hey, I'm hyper successful and I want to be even more successful. And I know that sexual energy is the rocket fuel to do that. Those are the spaces that I'm playing in with my clients and all of them require a releasing of the blocks that are in the way from you achieving whatever that next level looks like for you, depending on where you're starting. Okay. Now, lastly, can you share with us what an erotic alchemist is and the work you do for and with your clients in that realm? And really, they're two sides of the same coin. If I were to say, for example, the trauma piece, when we're dealing with sexual trauma or dealing with really bad wounding or those really physical problems, those situations I would consider more of an erotic alchemist. And the reason I choose that distinction is because the act of alchemy is to take lead, right? Something mm-hmm. solid, heavy, dense trauma and mm-hmm. turn it into gold, something beautiful, something that is enlightening. And to me, the alchemy piece is really the first stages. So when somebody's coming to me with that really dense energy, we're working in the alchemy space. And somebody's coming to me with really physical 3D realm, physical, tangible challenges. That's really the alchemy space. When we're moving into, I want to ride this rocket ship and see where it can take me. And I want to touch the face of God. That's when we're getting into the enlightenment side of things. I love it. That's a great analogy. (laughs) Stephanie, I love, and I find it very interesting that you chose and use the title or the word of guide and alchemist as opposed to coach. Was that a conscious choice for you? And if so, what was the logic or the thinking behind that decision? And why did you choose that over coach? It is absolutely a conscious choice. And those that are in my space, they'll start to see everything in my branding, the way I dress, the way I exude myself, my lifestyle, and everything in my business, even down to the way that my containers are priced. Everything is done with energetics at mind. 
the energy of a word matters. And for me, the word coach, if we even just think about it logically, like what is a coach, right? You've got a football team and they're standing on the sidelines and they're making plays for you and they're raw cheerleading you on and everything. And, but they're not necessarily embodying, right? How many coaches do we know that actually embody the best soccer player that are coaching kids soccer, right? We don't really see embodiment of the work in coaches as a word, also in the industry, which we can talk about. But (laughs) but as a word, even before the industry started to get these weird connotations, it just never really aligned with me. I just don't, I don't feel that I'm a coach because I'm not the person that's on the sidelines saying, raw, you can do it. Yes, I'm cheering you on. But really what I'm doing is literally walking the path ahead of you. I have been exactly where you are. I know exactly where you're going. And I'm literally guiding you through that pathway. And that's why guide was so important to me. And then as far as alchemist is concerned, led into gold, right? We kind of touched on that. And that's a more active representation of of what I'm doing. I love it. Now, so as you mentioned, the coaching industry. So let's talk a little bit about that. What are your thoughts on the coaching industry currently? Through many conversations that I've had with multiple women who work in the industry, a lot of them, as yourself, don't like to use the word coach. They prefer guide or mentor because of the connotation and the bad rep of the coaching that the coaching industry is getting on social media. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The first thing I'll say is that I'm very happy the coaching industry exists because it changed my life. The reason I am where I am today is because I hired a couple pretty high level coaches when I was beginning what's going on with the world (laughs) situation and my life and why do I hate my life and coaches are what got me through that. So I am never going to say that the industry is not good as is anything like that. What I will say is I have noticed that there is a, a tendency to teach where you see other people needing help, but not where you have skill. And that is a challenge. Absolutely. Because, okay, cool. There's easy money there. That's great. But if you don't have genuine skill there, then why are you teaching it? And when I'm using the word skill, embodied skill, not just I read a book and now I'm going to regurgitate the information, (laughs) but I've actually done this. I've proven success. That is a piece of integrity that for me is so important. I do not speak or teach anything that I haven't read a book or had a course, sure, but then practiced, embodied, made my own in some capacity and based on what has worked and what hasn't. And then it's ready to come out into the world through me because until then it's not even mine. It's just somebody else. Yeah. If you haven't been there and done that work, then how can you possibly teach someone else how to do it? Exactly. I always say you're not going to take sex advice from a celibate monk, right? (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) That's one thing that boggles my mind is in religion and the churches. Why do they have priests leading marriage classes? (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. There was a time in my life I was born and raised Roman Catholic for context And I was engaged at one point before I had my massive transformation. And then that just did not align anymore. But I was engaged and actually called it off three months before the wedding. But because it was important to his parents that we got married in a church, I had to go through the classes and yeah, all the people leading it. And don't get me wrong. The classes were actually very good. I was very happy about the classes. And I was like, wow, this is actually really good personal development. The booklet itself was good, but you're right. The people leading it are not married. None of them were married. And when you ask them questions, they can't 
actually really answer them again, other than just regurgitating the book. So yeah, it's not relatable this to me as home service, like homework, right? <laughs> Why am I here in this class for eight weeks? Yeah. <laughs> Our society often carries deep rooted taboos, misconceptions around sexuality. And as a somatic sexologist, how do you challenge these societal norms and create a safe space for individuals to explore and embrace their sexual desires and judgment? I feel like this is really my entire life's work is healing our relationship around sexual energy, what we think it is, what we think it means, where we think it needs to be confined to. How I challenge that is by speaking openly. This is why I'm very passionate about writing. This is why I do a lot of blog posting. I contribute to a lot of different magazine articles. I'm on stages a lot. I do uh, Facebook and Instagram lives all the time. And really just embodying it in myself as well has been really important because again, who am I to talk about it if I haven't proven it to myself first? I consider my entire life an act of sacred rebellion (laughs) into the taboos of sexuality and sexual energy and rules and regulations and all that nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Somatic sexology focuses on the mind-body connection in relation to sexuality. How can individuals tap into their somatic experience to deepen their understanding of their own desires and pleasure and ultimately enhance their sexual well-being? I love this. So I have an amazing practice that anybody can do and it Mm -hmm. takes three minutes a day. So whenever I'm starting off with my clients and they're completely disconnected from their body, they're completely disconnected from their energy, which is very common when we first start out, the practice is very simple. We don't even go into self-pleasure right away. We don't, that's usually too confronting at the very beginning. What we want to do is build a relationship with our sexual energy so that we can learn to trust it because it is a relationship, just like a relationship with our heart, a relationship with our intuition, our relationship with a friend, right? We don't take advice from strangers on the street for a reason. We want to learn to trust. And so the practice is simply, ideally, as soon as you get up, because sometimes this can be a very energizing practice and you might have trouble sleeping afterwards. Ideally, when you wake up, And the reason I recommend that is just because from a memory perspective, it's easier. You just habit stack it. Okay, I woke up, I brushed my teeth. Now I'm just going to sit on the bed and do this practice. Three minutes a day is all it takes. And all you need to do is just breathe into your sex center. So breathe into your pelvis and pay attention to the sensations that you feel there. And at first you won't feel anything and that's okay. Don't get frustrated. It's fine. You'll get popped out of your head and you'll start thinking about your to-do list. That's okay. That's fine. Don't get mad. Just come back, calm, cool, collected, come back into the energy. And literally just for three minutes, what can I feel here? And it's, I know it sounds annoyingly simple and it is annoyingly simple. And what's cool about this is over time, the first sometimes couple times, sometimes it's like the first couple weeks that people are doing this consistently every single day. You won't feel anything. That's okay. But at some point, all of a sudden you're going to notice something or you might see something or feel something. You'll feel a little bit of an energy, a little bit of a spark. And then the question becomes, once you feel that, what color is it? If it were to have a color, what color is it? Just take the first answer that comes up. If it were to have a texture, what texture is it? Allow that to come up. And if it were to have a movement or a shape, what would those be? So once you start to feel it, this is how you build the relationship with it. And those first couple of weeks are really important because what you're doing is literally training your brain from a neuroplasticity perspective that you want to feel this energy. 
because it's there, but your reticular activating system has been blocking it out like it's white noise because you've spent your entire life ignoring it and telling your brain, this is not important information. I don't care. So those first couple days, weeks, however long it takes is vital for you to just be patient and just keep teaching the brain, hey, I want it. I want access to this. I want to feel this. I'm open to this. I'm open to receiving this energy. I'm open to building a relationship with this energy. And then once it starts to, you start to notice it, the reason we ask about colors and textures is because it invites you to get out of the head and mm-hmm. into the intuitive sensing of that energy. So that's the very first practice I start with everybody. And then depending on where that goes, we yeah. evolve from there. So you say it's it sounds ridiculously easy. And I guess, yes, the concept of it sounds easy, but it's not easy because getting out of here is the hardest part and into trusting your intuition, trusting and allowing and stepping into that. Yeah. And I love (laughs) that you mentioned your intuition too, because that's one of the beautiful benefits when we start to work with this energy. It's not even just this energy, the act of dropping into your body and learning to quiet the mind. And again, not getting frustrated. The mind will be busy because you've never done this before, right? You're not bad at it. It's totally common. Just when you realize you've been off in thought, just come back. It's fine. But when you learn to do that, you develop intuitive abilities. You start noticing synchronicities. You start noticing hunches. Life all of a sudden becomes easier. You have more energy. You have more vitality. You have more creativity. Your entire life changes from this one practice. And what I will say is I sometimes have some uh, overachievers in my space. I'm an overachiever, so I tend to resonate with that energy. And they'll say, okay, you told me to do it for three minutes, so I'm going to do it for 30 every single day. Do not do that. Do not do that. Because A, you don't have the mental capacity for it. So you're just going to get frustrated. You're just going to get annoyed. You're just going to build up a bunch of resistance. And B, it's not necessary. And the people that I work with, they're busy people. They're successful. They have kids, they have families, they have businesses that they're running. Maybe they're entrepreneurs, maybe they're CEOs, maybe they're high level tech, whatever the case might be. If you have five hours a day to do meditation, then meditate for five hours a day. But I'm assuming you don't. So if that's the case, why make it harder than it needs to be? Consistency with this practice is much more important than depth. So every single day, Even if it's one minute, if you have to set a timer for 60 seconds because that's all you can muster, fine. But the consistency is the most important part of this practice. Getting into the practice, absolutely. Now, shame and guilt can greatly impact an individual's relationship with their own sexuality. So how can somatic practices help individuals release that shame and guilt and cultivate a healthy and empowering relationship with their sexuality? Really, shame and guilt are a little bit in the mind, but we're storing them in the body, right? We store them in the fascial tissue. And this is why I don't really work in the mind too much. I do a lot of teachings on mindset specifically, and I do help offer reframes and success mindset. But in our sessions, we're not talking about what do you believe about shame and why we're bringing you into the body. And the reason for that is because once this energy starts to move, once you start to build a relationship with it, a lot of rewiring happens already because you're like, oh, this isn't so bad, right? I didn't turn into a hedonistic predator. Wow, that's amazing. So you prove it to yourself. Oh, God didn't come down and scorn me. No kittens died. Look, the world, sky's not falling. 
this is probably okay. And so a lot of it really from the mind piece, a lot of it happens just very naturally. And that's the beautiful thing, because when you are dealing with trauma, when you are dealing with shame, when you are dealing with things like taboos and guilt, and especially if you have heavy religious upbringing, this comes up in my space a lot because Mm -hmm. it's a big deal. And all of that tends to just release on its own as you explore these practices, we don't really need to decipher what your dad said to you when you were five. That's not right. helpful, actually. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is that the energy, sexual energy in particular, is the most powerful energy that we as humans have access to on this planet. And its capacity, like I said earlier, when we're talking about the body and the trauma that's held in the body specifically and the shames and beliefs, because some of them really are, like I mentioned, in the fascial tissue. And sexual energy as this really creative life force energy, the most powerful energy that we have access to as humans on this planet, really works out those kinks and does an amazing job of shaking that trauma loose in the body in a really beautiful way. And this is why I'm really... I feel it's very important if you're going to start working with sexual energy to do so in a container because it will bring up trauma. When I started working with my sexual energy, I discovered, I don't want to go too deep into it just so we don't need to put a trigger warning on here, but I discovered a lot of tough stuff in my childhood that had been suppressed that needed to come out and that needed to be released out of my fascial tissue. And then, for example, my hips opened up. I had always identified as having really tight hamstrings and really tight hips physically since I was a kid, and I had no idea why. And then I started working with my sexual energy. These memories were released from my fascial tissue just naturally as part of the process again. And I was doing it on my own. I was not being guided by anybody. (laughs) So now I know, okay, we need to guide this kind of thing, which is why all of my containers are very high touch containers when we're working with sexual energy for that very specific reason. But it was cool. Once I healed that, all of a sudden my hips were opening. I got super flexible. My hamstrings opened up all of these physical things that had been held really tight, just released on their own as a result of working with this energy. So it's really beautiful. So healing. That is incredible. Mind boggling. Now, of course, we've touched on this sexual trauma is unfortunately prevalent in our society. And as a somatic sexologist, what kind of support and guidance do you provide to individuals who have experienced sexual trauma and how can somatic practices contribute to their healing journey? So when we're dealing with trauma, and I do want to be very specific here, I do not identify Mm. as a quote unquote trauma informed coach. If that is what you are looking for, if that's important to you. That is not me. I actually do not agree with a lot of what's going on in the trauma-informed space. My experience with it has been that methodology does soften the experience for the person that has been traumatized, but that doesn't help them heal. And much like talk therapy, it puts you in a space where you're just reliving constantly and you're not actually able to move past it. And that is not what I'm here for. I am here for your epic evolution, your transformation, your ascension. And I will not do anything in my business or with my friends or my clients or in my own life that isn't in service of that. So if I don't believe that a modality or something like that is going to genuinely make huge shifts for you, I will not employ it. I will say that means for me, it can be a little edgy for people. So I'll just be honest here and people can decide if this resonates with them or not. What healed my sexual trauma when it came up and I realized that I had so much of it 
was taking radical self-responsibility for that trauma. And I understand when we're dealing with, let's say, youth as an example, there is a, well, I mean, I was five. How could I have called that in? But when I'm talking about radical self-responsibility, I'm not talking about it from the place of the mind where like, oh, I asked for that. That's not the story we're telling here. Obviously, that's not serving anyone. The story we're telling here is the more empowered, energetic understanding that like you called in, you chose as a soul, you chose these parents, this situation and this experience for a reason, right? Right. It happened for a reason. For me, it happened so that I could guide others through this. That's Mm -hmm. my empowered view is, okay, now I know what this is like. I know what having resurfaced memories is. I can guide people, again, to use that guide because I've been there. I've walked this path. And that's why my soul chose some of the completely horrendous things that occurred to me so that I could have the depth, the breadth, and the capacity to help and heal others through that. So that's the first piece is really stepping out of the victim story of someone else did something to me. And no, I actually chose this because this was an important lesson for my soul's evolution and my soul's journey. That's number one, because we can't do anything while you're in victim mode, which is why I don't like the trauma-informed space, because it keeps you there. It really does. And it just makes it okay to stay there. Mm -hmm. And to be totally frank, it's not okay to stay there. You're not healing if you're staying there. And then from there, we touched on this already, but the sexual energy just, it really shakes everything out. And my job as the guide and as the alchemist there is that when it does shake out on its own, we don't have to force it. It's This stuff works really well. We don't need to push anything, I promise you. It's a natural evolution where your soul's, oh, thank God, I can finally let this go. Release. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so when that comes up and things do get hard and there's memories coming up and we're questioning our reality and all that type of stuff starts to happen, is this a real memory? Is it not? Again, it doesn't really matter if it's real or not. We're allowing it to release. We're allowing it to move through the body. And I'm holding the space and providing additional practices that are custom tailored to that person. So that might be a unique breath work. That might be somatic shaking, anything else tapping to help get it out of the body. It could be a rage session where we just get on a call and you scream or stomp, or it could be something as witchy as a releasing ritual. So it's very intuitive for every single person in every single situation based on what I can intuit their energetic profile needs in order to genuinely let it go. And in some cases, it just falls on its own. But see that bit about being able to step into the mindset and get out of the victim mindset and realize that this was happening for me. This yeah. all this happened for me, not to yeah. me. And being able to step out of that takes a lot of work to get into that mindset and be able to shift. It that. does, yeah. And not everybody's ready for it, which is why I'm very honest right. about it. If you want to hold on to your victimhood, I am not the person you should be working with. You will hate right. me. I promise right. you, you will hate me, <laughs> and I won't enjoy it either. So you have to be at least at the stage of I know I'm ready to work with this. And for example, when I came into starting to work with this energy and with my coaches, I had no idea what I was signing up for. I had no idea how much my life was going to change. And it's amazing. It was good before, but it's amazing now. I didn't know that. (laughs) Next level. (laughs) But what I did know was that there was this feeling inside of me that I was missing something and I was willing to relentlessly pursue that no matter what. And that's really what people need to have when they come to me. 
Now, of course, I don't think we can talk about sex and sexuality without discussing body image, body acceptance, self-love, all of these things. So with that being said, we know that many people struggle with body image issues, which can affect, of course, their self-confidence in the bedroom. So how do you help individuals develop a positive body image and embrace their bodies as vehicles for pleasure and connection? Mm, Such a beautiful question. And you're right. This comes up all the time. I feel like everybody on the planet has a body love journey in their lives. Yeah. And I'll mm-hmm. speak specifically to women. I know it applies for both, but I'll speak specifically to women just because that's my lived experience in this space. Really the big shift that needs to happen, and this one's a mindset shift, and then we'll talk about the energetics, is becoming a subject of your own desires. And what I mean by that is that for so many women, we are conditioned to instead of care about what we want and what we desire for our lives, to care about whether or not other people desire us. We're more focused on being desirable than being in our desire. And this is a very important distinction and a very important shift that needs to happen because here's the truth. Here's the total truth. When you are in your desire and you are living a life that you desire and you are in your pleasure, you are fucking magnetic. You're a light, you're a flame and people can't help but desire you because you're so lit up. Why do we have the story of when a woman's being bitchy, we say, oh, you should go have an orgasm. Why don't you go get laid so you can calm down a little bit? There's a reason that meme exists. There's actually truth to that, that when we are in our sensual energy, when we're feeling good from that and it's not shut down and it's not tapped out, then everything we do exudes with that energy and it makes us so desired. So really healing the body image, you won't care. The truth is when you start working with this energy, you genuinely will not care because you will be so in your own body. You will be so in your own pleasure. You will love yourself so much just because of the energy that's coursing through you that what size you are, what your face looks like, what color your hair is, whether or not you have Botox, none of that matters anymore. And that's what makes you magnetic. Love it. I love that. Thank you for those distinctions. That is very important that you mentioned those. So thank you for doing that. Now, speaking of self-love and the importance of, I want to continue on this path for a minute and this conversation. I've had quite a few conversations as of late around and about self-love and the importance of it and the fact that everything, absolutely everything starts from here within us. We are the foundation for all of it. We're also though, so often told And having been conditioned by society, parents, all of the things, religious, all of these things that loving ourselves is selfish. Mm -hmm. We've been told that repeatedly. So with all of that being said, what are a couple of tips or takeaways that you could provide that listeners can implement immediately to start their journey into self-love? It's so important for us to recognize that why do we tell people that taking care of themselves first is selfish? Why does that story exist in society as a whole? We don't need to go down that whole rabbit hole, but I want to pose that question of your listeners to really consider Mm -hmm. that. Who does that benefit? Who benefits? Who is served by you not taking care of yourself and thinking that it's selfish to take care of you first? Meanwhile, when we're on an airplane, I travel a lot. When we're on an airplane, whose gas mask goes on first? Yours. Yours. And why is that? Because if you're passed out on the floor, 
You are helping nobody. You're useless. You're literally dead weight. Now you're causing problems for everybody else. So self-love and taking time to take care of yourself. And I deal with a lot of moms. And this is a big part of our evolution that we have to do together because they're so in taking care of their kids, taking care of potentially also their husband. They're so in that wounded motherhood energy of everybody else first that if they're honest with themselves... They resent it. It's tough for them Mm -hmm. to admit that because, again, we're also conditioned that you have to love being a mother, even though the way that you are a mother sucks (laughs) because society has made it hard. So there's more conditioning there. But when I work with moms, this is a big thing that we have to deal with and, and to help them understand that just like the gas mask going on first, when you are serving yourself first, when you are taking care of yourself first, you are actually able to serve the people around you better. So yeah, from a better place. Exactly. If you want to be a great mom, go self-pleasure. I promise you, you will be a better mother. I promise you because (laughs) you won't be grouchy. You won't be grumpy. You'll have time to yourself. And when you do show up for your kids, you're showing up from a place of love, not a place of need. And that is a super important distinction. Beautiful. Thank you for that. In your work as a sexual enlightenment guide, what are some common misconceptions or myths about sexuality that you often encounter? And how do you educate and enlighten individuals to dispel these misconceptions and create a more informed society? So really, I have three kind of buckets that this is going to fall into. The first one being around pleasure. The second one being around sexual energy as a whole. And the third one being around what is masturbation versus self-pleasure. And we think they're the same thing. Right Around pleasure... Generally speaking, and I I get a lot of questions about this on my Instagram, which is where I'm the most active. And this is why in my Sexual Empowerment Academy, we really lean into pleasure uh, as an important thing right at the beginning. We have this idea that pleasure equates to hedonism and really what is more a dopamine hit. Okay, pleasure is eating a chocolate cake. Or pleasure is an epic orgasm. Or pleasure is buying that great handbag. That is not pleasure. That (laughs) is a dopamine hit. It's a sugar spike. That's not real embodied pleasure. Real embodied pleasure doesn't go away like that. You don't have, oh, I just bought this $5,000 handbag and now I'm feeling like buyer's remorse for a week. Or it just is not exciting after a while, right? On to the next shiny object. People call that pleasure seeking and it is pleasure seeking, but it's the wrong kind of pleasure. The type of pleasure that we're dealing with is not a dopamine spike. It's more based in uh, oxytocin. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes. Okay. (laughs) It's more based in oxytocin, the love chemical that moves throughout your body and expanding your capacity for pleasure, again, from a neuroplasticity perspective, literally making it so that you can feel pleasure in every single moment of your day because pleasure is a choice. It's not a purchase. It's not a thing that you eat. It's not an experience that you have. It is a choice that you embody throughout your day to day. So that's really the first kind of bucket that we focus on. The second one around sexual energy is everything from sexual energy is unsafe, it's predatory, it's bad, it makes me slutty, all of these stories that we have around sexual energy. And that one really, again, when we start doing these practices of playing with sexual energy in the body and starting to wake it up, those ones really tend to fall away on their own as we work with it because you see how not true they are. And it's not me telling you, hey, this is bullshit. This is not a true story. You shouldn't believe that. I'm not 
here for teaching at that level. I'm here for showing you how you can prove it to yourself. So when you start to work with it, you're like, oh, wow, this actually feels good, but it's a different kind of good than what I was expecting. And, oh, I'm actually way happier. And, oh, I'm actually way more successful. I'm way more magnetic. I'm nicer to my partner. I love my kids more. Now I'm painting. I thought it's so common for me to hear people say when they work with me in one of my containers, they come to me saying, I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. I don't know where I'm going to find the space for this. And by the time we're done working together, they're doing my work. They've picked up two more projects. They're driving the kids to school all the time, right? Like all of a sudden this vibe. Full of energy. Yeah, because it is. It's literally creative life force energy. So when we work with that, everything changes. They start looking younger. Their skin starts glowing. People are like, hey, what are you doing at the gym? And they're like, I'm self-pleasuring every day. But that's legitimately it. So it's not this thing that is only in the bedroom or only with a partner or needs to be dirty or icky or gross. And again, the way I solve that is by guiding people through their own journey so they can prove it to themselves. And the very last piece being, because I've used the word self-pleasure a lot here, and people think that's masturbation. And they're, again, two, just like we've got these two different types of pleasure, those are two very different types of things. There's nothing wrong with masturbation. It's fine. Please enjoy it. If that's how you're finding pleasure in your life, that's fine. But for me, masturbation is more on that dopamine hit, right? We're sitting down and we're like, oh, I just need to relax. I just need to get a quick hit. I'm going to orgasm as quickly as possible in most cases. It's not a journey. It's a, I need to get to this destination through steps A, B, C, D that I know will work every single time. And then I'm going to get on with my life. That's masturbation. Self-pleasure is a more meditative. And again, it's an embodied experience. It's a bringing into the body practicing how do things feel. It can look very sexual. It also can look like a rage session. It also can look like a meditation. It also can look like crying. It's really just allowing space for pleasure to shake out whatever's in the way, essentially. And this is why we call it self-pleasure because it's taking yourself into your body, calling up that energy, and it will tell you. I don't have to tell you. You don't have to tell you. It will tell you. Hey, all of a sudden you might, like I said, you might be crying and that is fine because that means that was the block. That was the energetic block that was in the way from you experiencing the pleasure that's available to you in that moment. That's very intriguing. I had no idea the difference between the two. So thank you for clarifying and sharing. You're very that. welcome. Very educational. <laughs> I am learning tons today. I you have it. to embody it after this though. This is the key. Not just learning. Yes, Remember you have to sure. embody it. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Pleasure is, of course, a huge aspect of sexuality, yet many people don't prioritize their own pleasure or they struggle with reaching orgasm. Mm -hmm. How do you empower individuals to prioritize pleasure and explore techniques to enhance their own erotic pleasure and satisfaction? And so this is really two questions. We can talk about what it takes to orgasm and what it takes for pleasure. And as I already mentioned with the distinction, we have trouble leaning into pleasure because A, we think pleasure has to be a vacation or a luxurious dinner or a day at the spa. We think it's these things that are a little bit inaccessible. Not all of us have a life where we can just go spend it. I've created a life where I can spend a day at the spa if I want, but not everybody has that. And so when we think of, oh, I can only be in my pleasure when I have this outstanding relationship or I have the best sex toy or I have the best spa membership or whatever, that makes it inaccessible. And again, it's a remembrance that pleasure is a choice. This is what we talk a lot about in the Sexual Empowerment Academy. It's a choice and we give them the tools to be able to access that on a day-to-day basis and expand safely into it. 
and to feel safe that, again, per your earlier question, taking the time for themselves to actually do that is the best thing that they could do. Because that's really the other block is I don't have time for my pleasure because I have to do the 20 million mile to do X, Y, and Z. Exactly. And so it's pulling them back into, you know, trust me, your to-do list isn't going to get shorter, but it's also not going to get that much longer if you spend 10 minutes or three minutes if you're really starting off with yourself. So allowing that, and then again, for that to build and prove itself over time. As far as orgasm is concerned, this is a completely different conversation. Women who struggle having orgasm It is most of the time, I won't say all, but a solid 90%, an inability to surrender into their feminine essence. At the end of the day, there is sometimes a bit more of a physical piece at play. There is sometimes, like I said, mental blocks. There could be even things like dietary things that are causing stress in the body can make it hard. But those are all symptomatic. At the end of the day, your ability to surrender to the experience is what is going to allow orgasm of all different types to be accessible to you, not just clitoral, cervical, vaginal, nipplegasm. There's a lot of different, women can have 11 different types of orgasms. There's a lot available to us. And people don't know this, right? We think just of the standard ones. And all of those become more available the more you tune into your body, the more you are willing to surrender either to yourself or to a partner and just be in the moment. And that does take practice because we are always in our heads. Some of the women that have come out of the Sexual Empowerment Academy came in so locked down, never having had an orgasm in their entire lives to being able to have these beautiful hour-long sessions where they were basically vibrating with orgasms the entire time. And this is where we get those magical qualities of the body healing itself, where we get that really strong magnetism, where we get just even money flowing. And I had somebody in my last round that $100,000 basically just fell into her lap halfway through the container. (laughs) Just crazy things have happened. And that is all just from that energy pulsing through your body. And all of that, that starts with surrender. So that piece we really cover in the Sexual Empowerment Academy. And I do it there or in my one-on-ones specifically because it is hard to surrender. If you're not doing it, your body feels there's a reason. It feels it's important for a reason. And we need to honor that. That means there's probably trauma. There's going to be some stuck energy. There's going to be big things that need to move. And again, I feel that that's best served in a container where I can hold you through it. So it's all really, it comes down to embodiment and release. Yeah, perfectly said. (laughs) Perfect summary. Now, sexuality is a deeply personal and intimate aspect of our lives. So how do you ensure a safe and non-judgmental space for individuals to discuss their sexual desires and concerns and what ethics and boundaries do you follow in your practice? So for me, as far as ethics and boundaries are concerned, I always tell my clients, you can't surprise me. (laughs) I've been around long enough at this point. I've worked with enough people at this point in my life. I've been through enough group containers and I've been a participant in enough group containers and held space for enough group containers that no matter what it is that you are struggling with, I promise you, unless it's something with a dragon, you're not going to surprise me. So you can feel safe there. And I think people really just feel it. It's so common for me to have, even with my matchmaking clients, and it's funny because my matchmaking clients are not sexual clients. They're two very separate buckets of bringing more love into this world. And so many of them will say to me, I don't know why, but I just feel so safe around you. I feel like I can tell you anything. And quite often they'll end up talking to me about their sex lives just because there's something about my energy that people just feel safe Mm -hmm. in it. 
Now, what I will say is when we're, that's one-on-one, when we're in group containers, there are very specific boundaries, regulations that are required to ensure that the space stays safe. I do an energetic screen of everyone. They join, I do an energetic screen of them once they come in before I let them into the container. And if there's anything that feels sticky to me, I just refund them their money. And I say, you know what, we can work one-on-one, but this energy doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't fit with the container. So All of my group containers are energetically screened, as well as there are rules. There's no bashing. Everything comes from the I statement. So I'm experiencing this. And we really talk a lot at the beginning about conscious communication, how to take ownership. I'll be honest, my group containers, people get triggered because stuff's shaking out. People get upset. There's heavy emotions that are moving. And sometimes when we don't know how to process, that gets projected onto somebody else for no fault of their own. (laughs) Literally no fault of their own. That's just how the energy moves. And so in our group Mm -hmm. containers, we have a lot of really strict rules around how you're allowed to express. And it's a good learning because this applies to your business partnerships. This applies to your romantic partnerships. This applies to your kids. When your kids are doing something that annoys the fuck out of you, do you scream at them Mm -hmm. or do you take a breath and you calm down and then you communicate consciously to them, this is how your behavior is making me feel right now. I'm taking ownership of that because of these stories I'm telling, et cetera, et cetera. So that is a big part of our containers to make sure that everybody feels safe, welcome, and loved. And we have a no strikes rule, I guess technically a one strike rule. So if you break a rule once, that's it, you're out. And then there's no refunds because you knew better. Yeah, exactly. As mentioned, we're going to go off in a different direction now. I love it. I'm here for all the directions. As mentioned off the top, you are an international bestselling author. So I would love for you to speak a little bit about the books or stories that you've written. And can you tell us titles, subject matter, what the experience was like for you sharing and writing your story and expertise and putting it out into the world? Yeah. So as far as actual books, as I write for a lot of different columns for various different magazines, everything from the metaphysical space that is like really in the metaphysical space to Wild Mag, which is more in the women's empowerment space and lots in between. But we'll keep it focused here on books. So the one book that I have that's already out that is the international bestseller is called Journey to Myself. And it's a collaboration with, I think it's 13 other women. And we each share our story of our own spiritual awakening, essentially. Okay. My chapters around that moment that I've shared a little bit with you where I had this life on the outside that was amazing And then some challenges that I was having with my fiance at the time that led to my rock bottom moment that really birthed this version of me that you see now and what it was like to relentlessly strip off and decondition myself when I really had no support. I did have the the one coach, but she wasn't in this space. She didn't work in the sexuality space. She didn't work in the spirituality space. She was a very mindset focused individual. And so that was great to have that support. But when it came to deconditioning my thoughts around money and love and relationships and sex and how hard I had to work and what even success meant, all of that deconditioning I really had to do on my own. And it was scary. And writing that journey in that book was really healing for me and brought up a lot of opportunity for me to process because I hadn't given myself... I didn't yet have the tools at the time that I now have four years later. I didn't have the ability to really teach myself how to cry and allow myself to cry and allow myself to let that energy ripple through my body and shake through my body. And I was so rigid at the time in my life. So it really Mm -hmm. was a a reprocessing. And I think a lot of people that have written books will share the same thing, that it it was like a reprocessing and a very healing journey for me to write that one. So it's really ironic that it was called Journey to Myself because it 
was yeah. a journey back into myself writing it. It was really beautiful. Yeah, writing can be a very cathartic process for yeah. sure. It, you release a lot, right? It is crazy. And then the, the second yeah. one that I've had come up, that one comes out, that's with Wild, Wild Magazine mm -hmm. as well. Another collaboration. And again, that one's a big, it, that was my second stage of my spiritual evolution. So both of them have been very deep, very healing. And the one that I have coming out in about a year is about orgasmic manifestation. So that book will be called Pussy Powered, The Shy Girl's Guide to Orgasmic <laughs> Manifestation. I love it. So that one will be that's a little awesome. more fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Stephanie, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Honestly, it is my ability to see opportunity. So it's a little bit optimism, but it's really deeper than that. It's the ability to always see opportunity. Anytime that most people would be like, nope, can't be done, doesn't make sense, there's a huge block here. Even before I was in the sexual energy space, even back when I was in corporate, there was a time in my life where I was in university full-time, working a full-time job, and had two side jobs. I was on two boards of directors, and I had a super active social life. I have this ability to just, where there's a will, there's a way. If it's in my yeah. mind, and now I know the energetics that if it's in your heart, you can't miss it. It will come to you. I understand that energetically now. But even before I understood that, my superpower really has just been, I can make it happen. I just know I can. I have this unrealistic, unbelievable faith in my ability. <laughs> and I always have to just figure it out. Love it. Now, speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? It's so funny because I've had so many different de definitions of success. I definitely had the, oh, success is the multi six-figure job and the really fancy title. That was definitely where I started from. Now I've yeah. learned that to me, success means living a life that genuinely feels good to me and a, a learning of what that means. And then obviously enough financial abundance coming into my life such that I can have that lifestyle, sustain it, build generational wealth and give back at the same time. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? My life completely changed when I learned about the law of attraction honestly. I was 19. I was running my first business. So this is one of those side, I was in university, et cetera, et cetera, all those things we just went through. One of those side gigs was I was selling sex toys for an MLM called Passion Parties at the time, which is now owned by True Romance out of the US. And that professional development was amazing. But at the time, the secret had just come out. And I remember okay. watching that and being, oh my God, my life just changed. A light bulb went off in my head. And it's funny because I didn't actually start diving into the depth of it and the metaphysics and going really beyond the secret until about five years ago when I started having the shift. But at 19, I was making vision boards and I was doing my affirmations and all the high vibes only stuff. And it worked. Yeah. Again, I proved it to myself. I had a super successful business with that MLM. I broke a bunch of records, won a ton of awards, got flown out to Vegas a bunch of times while I was doing all this other stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to be in university and have that I can do it attitude because that really set for me, oh yeah, I just need to decide. If all I have to do to change my life is decide, that's fucking easy. Let's go. And <laughs> let's do <yeah>. this. <laughs> what does the word empowerment mean to you? It's a funny one too for me because I actually just wrote an article that came out in US Reporter about the word empowerment and how it's important for me that 
it doesn't take this kind of heavy energy because I think in a lot of cases, women's empowerment has almost turned into us being better than, and this goes into a bit the feminist movement, us being better than men. We say we want to be equal, but do we really, or do we actually want to be above them? And so I'm very careful right. with the word of empowerment mm -hmm. because what I don't want, and I actually just spoke about this on a live yesterday on my Instagram channel. What I don't want is for us to fall into a masculine definition of empowerment that turns us back into the 1950s, but reversed which is what we're seeing starting to happen. Is women are saying empowerment means independence and it means I'm in my masculine energy and I, I can be do and I can run the business and have the kids and I can do all of these things. And at the end of the day, that's not empowering. That's just another trap. For to sure. me, empowerment is about us tuning into ourselves, our own inner energy and being willing to be in both our masculine when it's needed not from a wounded place, right? Because sometimes you got to get shit done. Like I spend a lot of time on my masculine yeah. energy, but also yeah. safety and trust in being in our feminine essence and knowing that we have the capacity and we are safe in our nervous system to choose when we want to be in both, both and. Beautiful, beautiful explanation. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Got okay? it. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. I know it's hard. I'm verbose. I warned you. <laughs> How would you describe yourself in one word? Energetic. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Transforming the way we see sexuality on this planet. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that Same be? Same thing. <laughs> what is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? My optimism. What is your favorite self-care practice? Self-pleasure. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? We'll speak truth, whether you like it or not. <laughs> that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> Tell me something about yourself that people would be surprised to know or find out. I think people listening to this podcast would probably be very surprised to know that, or maybe they won't. I don't know. I think they would be that I actually have a really heavy competitive streak and I love competitive sports. <laughs> And it's actually, as I've okay. been traveling the world for the last three years, I uh, played very high level dodgeball when I was living in Canada and I cannot wait. Really? Yes. I very high level dodgeball. And I know that people are like, is dodgeball even a thing? Yes, it's a thing. If you're in North America or Australia, it's a huge thing. And I don't know, it's so cathartic being encouraged to hit people with things on occasion. But it's just great. <laughs> All right. I love it. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? In the last year, I have gone through a pretty interesting void situation, really actually in the last six months. And what came to light through journeying that void, which by the way, is my third one now in my spiritual journey in the last four years, was my need to reassert my boundaries. So I found that I was really, when it relates to people, when it relates to legal contracts, partnerships, clients, friends, family, I found that I had actually gotten a little bit too into my feminine and a little too open. And there was a really strong need to pull back those boundaries and step more into a queenly energy where I was holding my container a little bit tighter. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? Can-do attitude. Absolutely. <laughs> if you could step into my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? I would have asked me, what's actually possible when we work with sexual energy? But I feel like I've already answered that kind of throughout this. And at the end of the day, it is so possible to do literally anything 
in your life. You can heal physical trauma. You can pull in more creativity. You can manifest huge amounts of money. You can call in your soulmate or your lover. At the end of the day, the world becomes your oyster. And it, it's like you're living with high resolution glasses on. And that's what I want for the entire world. That's what everyone should desire for. If you can bring that much abundance into your life, everybody needs to step into this and, and utilize Absolutely. this. That's my mission. <laughs> <laughs> if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Now, I don't know if this is technically breaking the rules, but the person for me that it would be is the physical embodiment of Isis. So we know Isis as the okay. goddess. She was a yep. human in, in Egypt before she was revered as a goddess. She was a priestess. And I work a lot with her in my dream spaces. I would love yep. to meet her in 3D physical realm. I think that would be so cool. <laughs> awesome. If you could go back, Stephanie, and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Keep having fun and keep going. And lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Your pleasure is your power. It's as simple as that. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing the beautiful light that you put out into the world through this magical work that you're doing. It has been such an incredibly inspirational and educational conversation I've enjoyed thoroughly every minute of it. It's been amazing. Thank you for taking and making the time to share your journey, your story, your knowledge, your wisdom. I appreciate you. And I'm so grateful to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for spreading this message. My pleasure and my honor. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Stephanie J. She is a motivational speaker, an international bestselling author, a certified somatic sexologist, a sexual enlightenment guide, and an erotic alchemist. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.